Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, and along with my co-host, Jack Comfrey, we are the co-founders of TheLeveragists.com, as well as Divisio.com, the all-new affiliate network for companies doing good. We have, we are very lucky today to have magician Luna Shimada, who has been performing in top venues across the world, from Europe to Japan to America, and the showroom in Las Vegas, which is, you know, that's the capital for magicians, as I understand it, of the world. Luna was also the uh, recipient of the prestigious World Magic Award as Best Female Magician, which aired nationwide on Primetime Fox Network. Luna is a philosopher, teacher of magic, and her many talents encompass writing, dance, performance art, and motivational speaking and spoken word poetry. Luna began her career uh, on stage early at the age of 12 and has spent the last 30 years honing her craft and is now recognized in the world of magic today as one of the best female magicians of our time. Luna has paved the way for many women to follow in a profession that the world that has primarily been uh, male-dominated. In other words, Luna just rocks, according to Rolling Stone magazine. She is the quintessential renaissance woman of our day. Luna, welcome to Leverage Masters. Hello, nice to meet you. So um, I'm a little bit starstruck. I've been watching a couple of your videos on YouTube. I saw okay. uh, a 2007 video, and I was just like, wow, she's awesome. So I just want to say you're <laughs> awesome, and you have a brand new fan. I think I'm your youngest, newest fan, your Aww. shiny new one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. And, yeah, uh, I know some of that footage on YouTube does need to be updated. There are a lot of you know, scattered ones there, but uh, people have posted from various venues. But, um, but uh, well, I, yeah. I guess my biggest question for you, um, yes. it seems like you're the right person to ask, what is the state of the union for days? Uh, I'm not really up on this, well, but I'm hoping it's Yes, up. I can fill you in on all that. <laughs> um, the state of the union on women, well, let's see. I think that in terms of the magic industry specifically, I mean, within show business, the industry's always been, you know, there's, there's always been stereotypes and, and typecasting uh, where women are concerned. And I, and I believe that in any show business industry, there's always been those limitations, which we have managed over, you know, the last several decades to overcome. But magic, for some reason specifically, is very, very behind in the times when it comes to that particular issue. And, um, you know, we are still within our industry considered a novelty act. So if we were to be, co- be hired, for instance, at a conference or convention or anything like that, they generally only hire one female entertainer for the entire event when there's mm. literally – dozens of us now and by dozens I mean I'm really you know that's a modest number because when I first 
decided to step out on stage in 1990 as a solo female magician. I was only one of three in the entire world that was actually a professional working female magician. Yes. And women were only just beginning to enter competitions around the world, um, but mostly overseas competitions. Uh, In America, women were pretty much banned from competition. They didn't say that. Like, it wasn't in the bylaws, and it wasn't, like, you know, a a written rule. But politically, there was physically no way for me to enter any professional nor regional competition within the United States without – becoming you know without without a lot of pushback is there there a cultural thing states i mean were you were you treated the same way in other countries is there any place in the world that was that doesn't have this weird bias uh against (laughs) female magicians it seems weird to me um i believe that now europe feels to me Europe and Asia has become a lot more surprisingly progressive in that industry as far as letting women compete and as far as uh, professional working uh, female magicians. But um, in the United States, there are quite a few more. And but but they're just it it you know it's it's one of those strange conversations that we try to start and you know and it's shuffled around a lot. Because most mm-hmm. of the professional magicians in the industry are men, you know, they have all gotten on this bandwagon of, oh, yeah, we support the women, but, you know, there are still limitations as to what they consider, you know, acceptable, right? So we yeah. formed a women's association, for instance, in Los Angeles and uh, in other places in the country but then the men want to not be excluded from those clubs, even though there's been men's clubs, men's magicians clubs for, for centuries that women were not allowed to be part of, right? But mm. for some reason, they don't like the idea of women having their own clubs. So there's a lot of, you know, well, how are you guys going to advance without our help? There's a lot of mansplaining going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. So, you know, we're definitely, you know, getting there, but it's it's a little bit of a slow progress at this point. Yeah. Well, what the... I'm trying to figure out... It kind of lines up with an awful lot of things that women seem to be yeah. excluded from. Oh, <laughs> and no doubt, no doubt. But, um, you know, there have been some inroads. Like, I used to complain an awful lot about the the lack of women headlining conferences in marketing venues and things. And, yes. Uh-huh. Um, and that's only gotten probably maybe better than slightly better, but not much. And, right. And it's really strange because it is sort of a performance to get up on stage and to do a conference and to, be, to play the role of expert and guru. There's a little bit of flash and dash to that, and it's probably because of the guys thought at one point that would be, you know, the Zig Ziglar's and everybody <laughs> thought that that would be mm-hmm. something, and they made a lot of sales doing it. And I think women felt pressure maybe to, um, you know, to, to perform in a way that they didn't want to, that they didn't feel comfortable yes. doing. And yes, so yeah. It really that is so prevalent. better there. Mm-hmm. That's very prevalent in the magic industry, especially because, I mean, I mean, yourself, 
for instance? How, how many female magicians have you actually seen? I'm trying to think, and, and it's got to be, like, including you, three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, we're not out there in the mainstream marketplace. And um, and that is, you know, and the, so when we first started, I guess, when I first started, I can only speak for myself, when I got into industry, I noticed that there was a trend. A lot of women wearing tuxedos, dressing up like men, trying to perform like men, just like you were saying. Yeah? yeah. And um, I created a character that was not in a tuxedo, per se, but very androgynous in uh, my approach. I even wore a mask for the first 30 seconds on stage to confuse the audience into not knowing, you know. I was, so I was very non-gender. And... Um, they were very surprised when the mask came off to discover that it was a woman under the mask and not a man because they already had assumed that this was a magician, mm-hmm. this is a man. And um, it, it was kind of a nice little sort of surprise, you know? Yeah, your first trick. Now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I think that, um, you know, for me it was an evolution, moving away from performing like a man to performing like a true female. It's like, well... You know, as women, we have a lot to to offer and a lot to teach as far as, you know, on every walks of life, right? Mm-hmm. I had to go very deeply back into history and study matriarchal cultures, discovered that women invented music, women invented medicine, women, you know, were responsible for the evolution of mankind on so many levels, especially in the creative you know, arenas, right? Back in the hunter-gatherer days, you know, the men went out and they hunted the big animals, right? Bring the food back to the tribe. Mm-hmm. What do you think the women did when they had to stay back and wait for the men to bring the food home? They had to go out into the forests, into the fields, forage, collect plants, discover, experiment, find out what these plants could do, right? Yeah. That's how they were, to, you know, that's how they, you know, discovered medicine. They cultivated medicine through the study of of plants. Um, And so music was another thing. Drumming, rhythm, you know, was something that they created in order to soothe their children, in order to create community, right, connection. These were all things that um, women cultivated within the tribe. So I think that in every industry, it's not, you know, it's not about men or women versus, or men versus women, I should say. It's really about working together, you know. Every, yeah. you know, men bring something very important to the table, but so do women. We have diff- we're different. We have different ideas, different perspectives, but different strengths. But when you, mold, when you put them together, you know, it creates a whole, Right. Right. So I thought, what can I bring to this industry that is uniquely feminine? And and um, I think that that's really where I want that. That's where that's the conversation I want to have with other women, as well as men. You know, to make them understand that this isn't really, you know, <laughs> about what we do. It's about who we are. Right. And right. I want to jump in and make one comment here and yes, get please. your take on this. Over the years, I've met a number of people who were magicians, several Mm -hmm. of them used to perform professionally, who have now become marketers. And they are 
exceptionally good at marketing. Yes. And they attribute that to the fact that they learned how to be marketers as magicians. Exactly. That's true. Talk about true. that a little bit more if you will. Sure. Well, when you when you you know, when people think of a magician they think of someone that just does magic tricks. But it's actually not true. A, a magician is truly an entrepreneur in its truest sense because we have to be multi talented in everything that we do. You know, we're self-employed, and we're independent contractors, so we have to promote ourselves. That means that we're responsible for the design of everything that goes out, everything that we put out there. We have to do all of our, you know, follow-up and do all of our leads and all of our contacts. We have to create our image and our persona, and then we have the, you know, the process, the creative process of creating the show. But um, I think that aside from all the marketing stuff, which is goes hand in hand with just getting ourselves out there and making people see us and become aware, there is a certain mindset that comes with that process. Because magicians, if you look in like the archetypal magician, the magician is supposed to be the master of self or mastery over self is really what the magician represents archetypally in the tarot and all esoteric studies, you know. The magician is one of those major archetypes that represents master of self, master of skills. And mm-hmm. so I know that as a magician, I had to learn how to build my own props, which means I had to develop carpentry skills and craft skills, right, sewing skills, making my own costumes. I had to learn how to perform, which means I needed theater skills, timing skills. I had to learn how to be a strong speaker, so I had to cultivate you know, overcome my shyness and my fear of speaking in front of people, developing confidence, and I had to be very scientifically and logically minded as far as being able to problem solve, create new effects, um, figure things out, yeah? So there's a lot of components to to what we do. I mean, you saw my video, you saw all that magic that I perform, right? I didn't just walk right. down the street to the local magic shop and buy those tricks and perform them on stage the next day. I invented and built every single prop that you see in that show with my wow. own hands, right? And what I couldn't build, if it was something electronic, and, you know, and I'm not a computer programmer, so whatever I couldn't create or make myself, I delegated or jobbed out to people that could. But everything in my show is customized and and unique and most magicians are that way everything that my father i mean my father came from a generation post world war 2 japan there was no there was no um uh <laughs> resources for him right yeah he had to learn how to do everything on his own so yeah i believe and this is what makes it exciting for me about getting into like motivational speaking and getting into home human potential movement is that because I've had this 20, 30 years of, of background as a performer and as specifically as a magician, um, that makes me uniquely qualified because it gives yeah. me a different perspective. Yeah. I was just get, I was just thinking about that. Maybe it's a cliche. I don't know what, how you would, but, I mean, what's one of the number one things they say in, in just before you go on stage, or it used to be, or at least it is on TV, which is what I know most of, uh, about 
being backstage somewhere is, is sell it. Sell it. They use the term sell it. Sell the audience. Sell them on what you you know on the on what you want them to believe and see and feel. And yes. It's kind of weird. It just came up when Gina asked that question. I'm like, good lord, you've been in sales for your whole life, <laughs> really? Because isn't that yeah. is that how you feel? Is that how you feel when you get up and you perform that you're? No. You're well, I think that for. Hmm. I believe that performers are unique in the sense that there are many different types of performers. I mean, maybe it's that way in in marketing too. Um, as someone that doesn't market dozens and dozens of different products or services, I just market myself. You know, so I can mm-hmm. only speak from my perspective. But um, as a performer, I know that there are showmen, and then there are artists. And then, there are, and then there's a wide range in between the artist and the showman. You know, you have your hobbyists and you have your clowns and you have your amateurs and you have, you know, all different divisions of that field. And so it kind of depends on what market they're, they're trying to go for. Yeah. Like I specifically, I, I see myself more as a performance artist rather than your typical showman. You know, if you're more of a showman type performer, then yeah, you're out there with the mentality of I gotta sell it, I gotta sell it, right? Yeah. Well, but that's what artist, I really picked up on. That yeah. On your, it, just really, really, really early in the first video that I watched, I'm like, this is something that I'm, I'm getting into this, and I just noticed that I've been into this for about five minutes without even thinking about what I was watching or what was supposed to happen. Uh huh. See, so I'm in the business of enchantment. And that's specifically <laughs> where my focus is. Yeah, and um, it works. I, I, I create atmospheres. I create fantasies. I, I, I weave a spell on you by drawing you in, pulling you into my little world, right? I do that with movement and music and visual, you know, wonder. And, yeah. um, and so... I don't go out there with the whole, you know, I got to sell it, I got to sell it kind of mentality. I go out there knowing that my magic will sell itself because once the journey begins, they're either going to get on board or they're not. But most of the time they do. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of like you don't, you don't walk into a movie theater and sit in the movie theater, right, with the intention that you're not going to wa- enjoy this movie, right? You're, you're right. going there to have an experience. So that's what I try to recreate. I try to recreate an experience for people. Well, the and thing is, I really yes, go ahead. To, to your credit, uh, and this is just with so everybody. I, I keep hammering this point home, but I think it deserves it. I've just met you. I've just seen your work today, and here's mm-hmm. this is the effect part of the effect that it's had on me. I'm just now realizing how many times I watched. Other magicians, predominantly, of course, male, who I'm always trying to go, what are they going to do next? And I'm always trying to second, and probably Penn yeah. and Teller is to blame more than anybody for this, because they're the ones who taught us to look uh, <laughs> askance at every little trick and everything. Yes. And, you know, and so, I, but I was always naturally that way. I'm like, but I was suspended mm-hmm. in your work. I was suspended... Mm-hmm. And I was not doing all of the, and it just occurred to me, I wasn't doing all that question, oh, what's next, or how is she doing that, or how is that? I was watching a story unfold, and I was captivated or enchanted, as you say, 
Mm-hmm. And that's to your credit because while it, for whatever reason that it's Thank still you. a male-dominated business, that a lot of those guys are not pulling off what I saw you do because I'm always given the opportunity, and it's their fault, right? They didn't enchant me. They didn't, you know, they gave yeah. me the ability to sit there and go, oh, I know what this trick is, this, or this is a variation on something I've seen before. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing any of that critiquing. I wasn't doing any of that stuff with you and so I think I fall on the performance art part of this in terms of the kind of magic I really enjoy because that's exactly what happened this morning (laughs) just like you said Uh, well then I did my job (laughs) yes very well I reached my goal yes Um, thank you very much for all those kind words and compliments I appreciate it and it, it makes me feel good to hear to get that kind of feedback and to to hear, you know, what people experience or what they feel when they're watching me, um, because that's exactly what I was going for. You know, as a child, I grew up in the world of magic. My father's a very famous magician, and he's sort of like, in the world of magic, he's a legend. You know, he is the guy that people like Copperfield watched on TV and became inspired, right? Mm -hmm. My father's always been an an artist, like, like I am. Yeah, that was always his approach and his style, and people were always entranced and, and you know, with with his persona and just the magic that he created and how they he they felt when they watched him. So, I I wouldn't say that it's something I learned to do. It's something that I developed just maybe by osmosis. I don't know. Growing up in theater, you you just start to look at the world a certain way. And it's yeah. a natural thing. It just it's something natural that comes through because you understand it, um, and then you try to recreate it, the experience for others. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think also that magic today, just the way the industry is going and the way magicians perform today, it's become a very cerebral experience. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Penn and Teller fool us. They they jumped on the bandwagon and saw a gimmick and they took off with that. But mm-hmm. people, if you think about it, right, every time they watch magic, what's the first thing that goes through their mind? It's, it's, they get that feeling that you have. Um, how did he do that? How does it work? I think I can figure it out, right? Yeah. And it's a challenge experience, almost like playing a game. You know, I got to beat this game. I got I to right. take right. on this challenge, and I got to figure it out. And that was the aspect so it's very cerebral, it's very left brain, very analytical. Whereas I try to come into ma- I try to create magic that simulates the the right brain hemisphere, right? The creative side, you know, the side that that likes to watch stories and create fantasies and you know escape a little bit from all that analyzing. Yeah. And I think that it's a lot more. It's a much more fun. It's a, it's a funner playground, in my opinion. It's just that's where I like to play, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because um, it's almost like work. If you're going to a show tonight and you're just getting mm-hmm. off work and you've done all of this analysis throughout the day and mm-hmm. thinking about goals and spreadsheets and stuff like that, it's probably really tiring on your brain, if not consciously, mm-hmm. for yourself to go to another challenge festival where it's like, now I've got to figure out how this person does all their magic. This isn't entertaining. Yeah. I've been doing this all day. I've been analyzing. Yeah. I want to be captivated. I want to be swept up and taken away somewhere. That's typically what entertainment is for. Um, 
so yeah, there's very good points there. I, I, well, wonder I think people enjoy. All... Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I think people enjoy being fooled, but I think some people secretly resent it too because it makes them feel oh, stupid yeah. when they can't figure it out. And that was the thing that I wanted to take out of the equation. You know, so I want people to actually truly and honestly enjoy it without feeling challenged. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's right along the lines of what you were saying. Yeah. Hey, Gina, we got a little noise on the line here. She's, Sorry. She's, you know, she does the studio stuff. She does the magic of keeping the noise off the line. <laughs> I'm muted, but I think it's because of the control panel, Jack. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so I'm 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 wanting to transition a little bit here because your worlds yes. are seemingly far apart, but I immediately get why you've transitioned speaking and, and helping people. Will you want to talk a little bit about that and, and let us know what that part of your world is like? Well, that is, uh, you know, that is something that I have been uh, professionally trying to break into for the past few years, and I'm fairly new to that industry, honestly, because my performance career has been keeping me so busy. But um, I, I realized I really came into it quite naturally. You see, magic is interesting in the fact that it it brings up a lot of questions, but it it changes it changed my perspective on how I see the world. I got to a certain point in my life where I said, "Well, magic tricks are fine, but where's the real magic? Is there real magic in the world?" And when I began to ask those kind of questions, that took me on a quest, on a mm. personal quest, right? I began to study everything I could about magic, both, you know, occult, esoteric, you know, theologies, philosophies, everything, you know, from from poetry to various religions and various Down the rabbit systems. Hole. Yes, everything, you know, and I have immersed myself in the study of, of various, you know, those various subjects uh, throughout my life. And that has brought me to a certain way of looking at life, a certain lifestyle or way of living, right? One of my mentors told me many years ago, well, if you're going to be a magician on stage, you have to be a magician 24-7. That means that you're a magician. It doesn't just stop the moment you step off that stage, like it does for a lot of people, like for a lot of magicians. It stops the minute they step off stage or, you know, away from an audience. But for me, it is, I'm a magician 24 hours a day. And by that, I mean that, Everything that I look at, everything that I experience is magic. Every moment is an opportunity to transform yourself or others. Yeah? So I use that magic, whether it's performance magic or whether it's a quote or, um, you know, uh, standing in line at the DMV, noticing a person next to me having a particularly hard time and starting a conversation with them that will uplift them in some way, right? Yeah. I'm always seeking to, to add value to people's life, to, to change. And the more rude or obnoxious or angry or just, you know, the person beca- is, the, the more of a reason why I will, I will engage with that person. I will make a point of engaging with that person to try and shift their energy so that they will begin to experience, you know, have a better day, right? Yeah, 
And um, that to me is really where the real magic is. And that's when I realized that I had been doing this for years. For years and years I've been inspiring and motivating people to become their better self, their higher self. So Yeah. It makes me wonder, uh, in your uh research over the years, um whether or not you found that there was a correlation between people's increasing disbelief in magic, in you know, the capital M magic, just magic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then their ability to be entertained by it so much. And maybe there was a time in history where people, magic was just, it was, it was just a thing. It was like part of yeah. their lives. It was part of their culture. Part of their lives, exactly. Yes, and you would have to do some so. pretty incredible stuff to, to go back to that time in front of those people and make them ooh and awe. At least it's a little fantasy I just created. I don't know. You can do mm-hmm. it, but is, that, is there okay. anything to that? Okay, so yes, <laughs> very interesting subject. I don't know if we could cover it all in this interview, but I'll try to make it as as brief as possible. Um, okay. You know, the origins of magic, because people always ask me, you know, what 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 is the origins of magic, or what does magic mean? What is the meaning of magic? And I needed to, I asked that question first, so I had to find out, you know, where where did this come from? Why did we start, you know? how did we invent the uh, magic tricks and why did we invent them and what is their application? And again, you know, it goes back thousands of years to the beginning of, of our culture when, you know, when women and, and medicine men and medicine women were healing the members of their tribe. And they came to understand mm-hmm. that magic is something that is invisible. It is, it, it cannot be touched or smelled, or seen, and yet it is the force that governs all life, right? But in order for people to understand it, especially primitive people back in those days, they needed to find a way to convince people of magic's existence, that it was a real thing, and that it Uh had power over their life. So somebody, very, very, someone who was very smart, came up with the idea to make magic become a more visual experience. Very much like how a placebo works. Right? Uh-huh. So if a person, for instance, came into an office and a healer put their hands on you and said, gee, I've got this like pain in my stomach and they put their hands on your stomach and then after about 5 or 10, 15 minutes, they said, okay, you're all better now. Are you going to believe them? Probably right. not, right? There's no. going to be some doubt there. There's going to be some doubt there. But, and just think about, you know, back in the tribal times, right? I mean, we have science now, so we're more skeptical. But back in those days, a person came in, a healer put their hands on them, maybe made them drink some concoction of some sort, right? And then they took a clear crystal stone and placed it on their stomach. They said, I'm going to extract the poison from your body. And they put the stone on their stomach, and then they start to sing and chant over them and place their hands over the stone. And when they remove the stone from the body, the stone has now turned black. And they hold the black stone in front of their patient, and they say, I have extracted the poison from your body. It is now in this stone. Can you see it? And they go, yes, yes, of course. Good. He says, now all you need is lots of rest, and you are, and you are healed now. You will get better. And they walk out of there with a sense of belief and relief that something actually happened. (laughs) And we still do that. 
we leave the doctor's office after the doctor says, I don't see anything wrong. I am, I dove thee, I, ha, I give yeah. thee a good bill of health, and I have this white coat on. We still yeah. perform magic and call it science in a lot of ways, yeah. don't we? Well, and we use a lot of scientific applications in magic, too. A lot of science and a lot of math. Um, magic, in a sense, is science. Right, right. The, the two are very, very closely related. Medicine is I also say, magic. I should preface that with And magic is also science. medicine. Yeah. They're very, yeah. Um, they're very similar. Um, yeah, well, I am on a mission to transform people's perception and experience of magic. In fact, I, I have a magic school uh, here in Las Vegas. It's called the Shimada Legacy School of Magic. And um, Shimada Legacy, because my magic started with my father, and then I carried on the mantle. So, and now my my son, he is now the third generation Shimada, who is also performing magic, and he is 12 years old, but he's really quite you know quite advanced. He's and and quite natural with it. So he helps me run and operate the school as a child mentor, and we have a life skills program where we teach children about communication skills and and the eight traits of a true magician, which is things like being respectful, being prepared, being enthusiastic, being confident, being creative, being authentic, you know, being humble. That's a very important one, being humble and yeah. and um, gifting, right? So, you know, every lesson. So it, it is a motivational course designed as a magic course, you know, disguised as a magic course and using magic as the tools and the application to teach these very important life skills. That's amazing. And so it's such take... a natural pivot for me, you know, to, because really they're one and the same. <laughs> really, truly. And, and a lot of times people may have to take a, make a little more effort to, um, to tie things together in their lives like that but yours mm. seems very very natural because you're de- you've been dealing in magic for a long long time and this transition to uh or when you opened up to some other things like the history of magic and that leading you to the philosophers you certainly stumbled across an incredible amount of cosmic magic that yes. people were talking about all through the eons and um and it's what i consider one of the greatest pieces of magic of all. I mean, it goes to, to what you were talking about earlier, being the source of um, of everything, really. It controls yeah. everything. And I, I can only love... imagine the discussion oh. that you and I could have yeah. if we had hours oh, and yeah. hours <laughs> of just getting <laughs> I... into the energy stuff, getting into the mm. universe, the source stuff and everything else, because, my goodness, your perspective well, I love on doing that would a lot be of remarkable. Spoken... Thank you. Thank you so much. I do a lot of spoken word poetry, you know, and do a lot of spoken word pieces in my show. That's really kind of a new thing that I started integrating was because I was a primarily a silent performer for many, many years, but I wanted to bring the magic of words into my performance but really like transformational words, not just mm-hmm. scripting. Like when I was a little child, my father taught me my first magic trick, you know, not that. <laughs> <laughs> but something a lot more thought-provoking. So um, it would, do we have time? Do we have about one minute for me to share oh, a piece absolutely. with you? Absolutely. I'm okay. happy to say yes, we do. <laughs> okay, all right, wonderful. So um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do this piece for you, okay? Yes. Here we go. Who am I? Who am I? Well, 
I am the primordial seed of relationships, realizing and observing itself in anticipation, pulsing and beating the heartbeat in syncopation, wriggling and struggling to reach and break through in undulating causation. I am not a reed in the wind or a thought you dismiss. I am not a rhyme without a reason or a reason without a cause. I am the cause and effect of all you conspire, brought into existence through the raw essence of your desire. I am not the object of your erection or a projection, but the subtle feeling that creates the heat beneath your skin. I am the unquenchable thirst for meaning, merging and meeting where your heart and mind and soul connect. I am not the one that says, I can't, and it won't, and I'm scared, nor the one that kills the ideas or puts out the lights of invention in ascension. I am the muse of your intention, dripping with delicious redemption, waiting like a stalking wolf to pounce and tear you open to liberate you from your cathartic detention. I am creation observing itself and willing myself into manifestation. I am that which never was, but can be everything and everywhere at once. You cannot stop me. Nothing can stop what is constant, infinite, and perpetually in motion. What is it then that I am? Who am I? Well, it's simple, really. I am change. That's it. Well, you, <laughs> you just knocked out two hours of a conversation we could have uh, much more clumsily gotten to with some beautiful words that each carry the weight of thousands. So that was awesome. Thank you. Aww. Thank you. Oh, cool. I feel like we got so much done just right there. That was that's amazing. That's like six shows worth of stuff. This is great. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, so do you do you do this not just um, performing you know magic performances, but I imagine that all of this is just rolling over into your speaking and and everything. I mean, I guess I'm yeah. seeing that it's not really much different what you're doing now than what you've always done in many ways. Yes, um, it it really isn't, and and I think that I didn't realize, I guess at the time how much my influence was affecting people. You know, I just don't think about it. I'm a, I'm a really humble person, and that's the thing <laughs> that always made me feel a little out of place in my, you know, in my business, is that I'm surrounded by, uh, you know, magicians for the most part are, are, are highly narcissistic, you know. My mother yeah. always used to say, you got to be a really screwed up person to become a magician. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, they're all nuts, Luna. They're all, they're all crazy. Was your, <laughs> is your dad always with an earshot when she says that? <laughs> well, my dad's kind of a weirdo as well, you know. But um, <laughs> if you think about it, a lot of magicians do have some sort of strange kind of social anxiety, you know, which is what got them started on, in magic in the first place. Right, they were either extremely shy or extremely awkward or didn't fit in, um, and um, magic was just something that gave them a power, a superpower, that set them apart from everybody else. 
you see. For my father, it literally saved his life. I mean, because he was very poor, and it was it was at the end of it was a, during the devastation of Japan and Tokyo, and um, you know he, things were very bleak back then. You know, it was it was par- they were living at poverty levels. They were starving, and he was running errands in the city for different people. And he came across a, a magic demonstration booth in a department store. And he saw a magician dem- demonstrating magic, and that's how it started for him. He became obsessed with it because he'd never seen anything like it. And I think that that's, what ma- that's the impact that magic can have on the masses, especially why Houdini attributed so much of his success to the fact that he represented something very powerful to the masses during the Depression time. Yeah? It wasn't yeah. about, wow, this guy can escape out of anything. It was, wow... He can escape out of anything, which means that so can we. If he can do it, maybe we can do it, right? So he was like right. the first motivator, you know what I mean? People saw somebody escape out of impossible situations, and they say to themselves, wow, if he can do it, it's actually possible, you know? Right. That, that, what does that bring to the masses? What does that bring to the people? It brings them hope, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it it shifts their whole perspective, you know, takes their mind out of loss and lack and poverty into hope and 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 possibilities, infinite possibilities. You know, my favorite quote is a quote by Houdini. He said, "The my mind is the key that sets me free," and mm. it is true. What you can see and what you can conceive and what you believe is possible. So I think that the way magic works in this culture today, because we have science, because we are analytical and we can deduce and deduct and and solve things, uh, magic in a way, in a performance arena, has really lost a lot of its um, allure, especially with the advent of movies and CGI. And I mean, God, you go to a movie and you see movies about magicians, you know, Harry Potter, and I mean, I know as a magician, if I was actually trying to compete as a magician, a conjurer that does tricks, I couldn't compete with that. I could never make my magic look as good as, the, as it looks in Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not even, even going to try because I understand that it's not magic is, 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 it's something that is within us. It's a psychological experience is what it is. Well, so, doesn't it feel like an evolution then? Because what you've it is. taken us through, you mm-hmm. started back in times where we had to make magic manifest physically so that people could, under, could, could conceive of it, could understand yes. it. Yes. And, and now we've, got, we've gone all this way, and we don't need maybe those tricks that they performed very early on anymore because no. everybody's a believer to some degree, because they've seen the mm-hmm. CGI, they've seen, you know, so many things. And for you to now be talking about going within, that the magic is in the mind, that it's all, it just seems a perfect enfoldment of, of the context that we find ourselves in human evolutionary progress. We are, because in we're today. in a consciousness, yeah. Well, we're in a consciousness evolution right now. And so yeah. all things have to evolve or they, or, or, you know, if things do not adapt and evolve, they disappear. And that's just the nature of it. You know, things that are no yeah. longer relevant and no longer needed 
will 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 not stick around, right? They will just become right. a thing of the past. And uh, we've seen a lot of industries disappear. I mean, we are in really a, such a pivotal time. You know, I talk to my children every day, and I say, "Look at this! This store is closing, and this entire strip mall is 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 empty." And you know, we are changing the way that we shop, the way that we eat, the way that we you know entertainment changed the moment YouTube came out, right? All of our venues disappeared. People don't leave their houses to go see live shows hardly at all, unless it's a, unless it's a very specialized experience, yeah? Right. Um, magic is exposed. Magic tricks are getting exposed on YouTube. Hundreds, thousands and thousands of videos of magic exposés on YouTube, right? I think Penn and Teller, in a way, in their own way, is trying to reinvigorate an interest in magic by making it a challenge show, you know? And that was their answer to the YouTube problem, by saying, okay, well, there's a lot of magic trick, expo- magic exposure on YouTube, but we're going to bring the best of the best to show you that you can still be fooled by magic if you're yeah. good enough. You know, see? And that's, so, you know... Well, my my final question, because I know Jean is burning with one too, and we do we are in a little time crunch, but we've got to have you back because I have all kinds of things I want to ask you. Oh yeah, <laughs> we've only scratched <laughs> the talk. surface. I can talk all day but, long, as you can see. <laughs> one last thing from me is, uh, it's funny how it got pulled out of the mind. Someone conceived of how to display magic in the real physical world, and it blew everyone's minds. Finally, mm. you're making sense. All that crap you were talking about with just mm-hmm. words, is now, and that came out of the mind of a person who could conceive of both worlds. Now mm-hmm. we have a population that has in their own minds all of these pictures that they are struggling to bring to light. They are the ones conceiving of it, and they're having a hard time. And I think a lot of entertainment, CGI, Harry Potter type stuff, is helping people get out of their heads or see a manifestation of mm-hmm. what now is in the hearts and minds of billions of people who have been exposed to all of this and are willing over the years to accept it. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool that you get to be on the cutting edge of that. I guess I had more of a statement to make than a question, but mm-hmm. is that kind of getting close to how you feel about where you are now in your career and, and how you're affecting people? Um, yeah, I would say so. I think that magic, the, the performance of magic is my performance on stage is my art, Right. Like they say, what's the difference between a performer and an artist? Well, a performer performs to entertain, right, to sell themselves to the audience, to convince them, hey, you need me. I'm going to bring you some enjoyment. You're going to have fun. But an artist really only performs for themselves. They create, and they have to get whatever it is that they feel and see in their mind's eye, they have to get it out of them and out into the world. They are driven to get that out of themselves and out into the world because they know that it's important. They don't, sometimes they don't know why it's important. They just know that it's important. That, so an, an artist is driven to, to, to uh, create and to share their creations, right? Wayne Dyer always said, don't die with your music still in you. You know, that's a yeah. true artist statement, right? My goal, I think, in life is to... to um, be able to raise awareness, to wake people up. There's a lot of people out there sleepwalking and, and, and still 
harboring this sort of victim's mindset. Why does this happen to me? Why is this happening to me? Why is my day so crappy? Why is this person so rude, et cetera, and so forth? They keep, they're still asking why. They're still asking the why question. But really, the answer is, it's you. You know, it's you. Everything that you experience, everything that happens to you is you. And when we begin to awaken to that concept, to the idea that it is that it is cause and effect, right, then we become more mindful. We start to observe our own mind. We become more mindful of the words we use, the actions we take, and the way we treat others because we want to be treated with respect. We want to, be, we want to, we want to matter. So how do you make yourself relevant? by making everyone else relevant. I told my ask my mentor, how do I know when I found my divinity? How do I know that I found my divinity? He says, when you begin to see it in everyone else. Boom. That was it for me. I got yeah, it. That's awesome. I so before we that. run out of time, yes. how can people find out more about you, Luna? Okay, well, you can find me on Facebook, Luna Shimada, Motivational Performance Artist. You can find me on Instagram, Luna Shimada 88. I think that's uh, lunashimadamagic.com is my website. Well, that is fantastic, Luna. And I know we definitely want to have you back on the show. You are fascinating to talk to. You've oh, got thank such you. It was beautiful fun. wisdom. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for having me. So, and this was a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you having me here. So, yes, I look forward to it. Thank you so much. And Jack and I will be back same time, same place next week. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.